Well, you know, we stand here on the authority of the Word of God, and uh, God speaks to us in the way that God has already spoken to us through His Word, and His Word tells us who God is and who we are and what He wants us to do. And so, with that in mind, please take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 5 as we continue our series that we've called The Gospel According to Romans. Because we've seen over and over again that this is what Paul keeps coming back to, the gospel. You know, it's pretty amazing what one person can accomplish. Um, The first person that came to my mind when I was just thinking of that was Steve Jobs. Um, He redefined computing with the Mac. He redefined uh, the music industry with the iPod. Uh, the mobile phone industry with the iPhone. Whoever thought we'd be using our phone for everything. Um, The movie industry with Pixar. And the publishing industry with iBooks. And more. He has 679 patents. That's a lot of patents. There's another person that has 1,093 patents. Thomas Edison. And among his patents, he innovated the first record player, uh, the incandescent light bulb, and an early version of the motion picture camera. Uh, It's unbelievable you think about the impact just those two men have had on, on us today. Those are two names that we're familiar with, but I bet a name that you haven't thought about recently is Dashrath Manji. Haven't had a conversation about him, I bet, in the last week. Dashrath Manji um, lived a quiet life in the hill country of India with his wife and tending goats. Uh, One day, his wife took a bad fall and fell pretty far down uh, a mountain, and uh, she didn't make it because the nearest hospital was 45 miles away. As the bird flew, it was only like four miles away, but she didn't make it. Well, Dashrath decided he didn't want that to happen to anybody else in his community. And so he sold his goats, and he bought uh, a hammer and uh, some chisels. And for 22 years, all by himself, he um, dug a road through the mountain where, as the bird flies, so that it would take less time to get to the hospital... 30 feet high, 25 feet wide, and 360 feet long to connect his village with the nearest town with a hospital. He did that by himself, and it took him 22 years to do it. That's determination. Uh, That's what one man can do uh, if they put their mind to it. Well, um, I've I've not seen it, but apparently there's a movie about that man's life. But just like one person can do great good, one person can do great harm as well. We don't have to think too hard, any of us, to think about political leaders that have caused tremendous harm in the world, killed millions of people. The thrust of this passage that we're about to read is exactly that, what one person man can do. And the Apostle Paul does that. He lays one man against another. 
Adam and Christ. Peter says, interestingly, in 2 Peter chapter 3, that some of the things Paul wrote were difficult to understand. Um, I agree with Peter. Some of them are difficult to understand. Before we dig into this passage, I wanted to highlight a couple things that I think will help us in our understanding. So the word one uh, appears 13 times in this passage. One man, one sin, one wrong choice that opened the door for corruption. And we also have one man and one sacrifice that opened the door uh, to salvation. So both Adam and Christ did something that impacted all of us. Another word is the word rain. Uh, Not like the rain that we've been having this winter, uh, which we've had a lot of and we've needed, which is good, but rain like a king. The word is used five times. What Paul is acknowledging is that Adam and Christ each reign over a kingdom. Adam reigns over the kingdom of death, and Christ reigns over the kingdom of life. So you have this on your outline. Condemnation flows from the stream of Adam, if you will, and salvation and justification flow from the stream of Christ. Another phrase that's used uh, like five times is the word much more. In other words, we have gained much more in Christ than we ever lost in Adam. Like you, I've met hundreds of people over my lifetime, but there's only one person, only one person who completely changed my life and I know has changed many of your lives, not all of your lives. And that is Jesus. He is, it's out of motivation of of love for him that we we do what we do as a church. Where individually we go out and share Jesus with our neighbors and our friends. Where we send missionaries out to the world because there's a world that hasn't heard about Christ. Many unreached people, language groups. That's why we send our missionaries there. So they can hear about Jesus. So they can start churches. So that They can translate the Bible. Also, and this is important, I think Paul's stress on the one man throughout the passage, and this is also on your outline, indicates that he viewed both Adam and Christ as historical individuals. One of the things that most commentators say, uh, and they agree on this, is that the verses that we're looking at today are some of the the most important verses in the New Testament, but also some of the hardest to understand uh, because it's a challenge to stay with the flow of Paul's thoughts. And part of the reason for this is that Paul begins a comparison in verse 12 and then he interrupts himself and verses 13 through 17 in the middle are almost like a parenthetical devotional thought. And so, and then he picks it back up, his argument, so to speak, in verse 18. Um, You know, maybe it's the way that we're living, uh, that we are not really, as Christians, reigning with Christ, like we ought to reign with him. And my hope is that this passage will help us reign the way we should as Christians, So let's read our passage, Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. 
Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Now, this is where the parenthesis starts. To be sure, sin in the, was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged with anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned before the time of Adam to the time of Moses, from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died the trespass of the, uh, by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more with those who received God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. That's where the parenthesis ends. So now to help us pick up the flow of his thought, I want to reread verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Consequently, verse 18, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification in life for all people. For just as through the, the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness, to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is God's word for us today. So what's kind of neat about this uh, section is, I think, and this is on your outline, these verses summarize everything the apostle has written up to this point and then prepares us to receive the next truth. So uh, you'll, you'll see that underneath each of the main points. But the first thing Paul wants us to see is that Adam's failure, this is number one on your outline, brings sin upon us. Adam's failure brings sin upon us. When Adam sinned, he generated a legal change in his character before God. He acted on behalf of all humanity. In other words, he passed on his nature to us. In that sense, he was the representative head of humanity. So here's a, a modern example. I don't know if you've seen this movie. I, I don't necessarily recommend it. But in the movie The Hunger Games, um, the main character was called Katniss Everdeen. And she becomes, I think she's a good, rep, a, a good example of this though, she becomes both a substitute and a representative. She's a substitute for her sister Prim, and she saves her life by taking her place. And she becomes the representative head of her district. Because 
if she wins this gladiatorial, stupid hunger game thing that she's in, her whole district reaps the benefit for an entire year of food and feast. And so Adam acted as the representative head of humanity. And then Jesus comes in, and in the same way, he's a substitute and also a representative in that same way for all those who believe. People say that it's not fair to be judged by Adam's mistake. We say, I'm not Adam. Not, not me. I'm, I, who, who's Adam? Uh, and people will say, I don't even know who he is, and we're paying for his sin. I don't even know him. I don't even know him from Adam. Um, how can we be guilty for something Adam did thousands of years ago? It doesn't seem fair. Well, put it this way. Every time we sin, we confirm that we would have done the exact same thing as Adam if we would have been in his place. And because we're all sinners, we don't need fairness. What we need is mercy. We need God's mercy. We need God's grace. So verse 12 describes our sin pretty concisely. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. So what Paul is describing is what happened in in Genesis chapter 2 when God said to Adam, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. They, their sin was to be like God. And the result of it in verse 12 Look at verse 12, as sin and death came to all people. Interestingly enough, you know the name Adam in Hebrew means, and this is on your outline, means mankind. That's what it means. So he represents all of us. One commentator called the relationship, our relationship with Adam as Adam solidarity. We all have Adam solidarity. And we've all heard the expression, no man is an island. Well, this was actually written by John Donne, who was a pastor and made extra money on the side by writing prose and poetry. And he wrote what's following. It's on your, on your outline. No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less. As well as if a, a manner of thy friends or of thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind. And therefore, never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. For all of us, we all experience death. What Dunn was writing was biblical and beautifully expressed that Adam's sin impacts us all. That, that Dunn is saying that we all have a shared fate. Unless Jesus comes back, we're all going to die. Paul goes on to say that what Adam brought upon us has been true throughout all of history. Look at verses 13 and 14. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, before the law was given. Paul was saying, is saying here that before God's law, it, it didn't matter sin, sin, if sin was apparent, but it was because we know that, and we know that because people died. But the law defines sin. Uh, I'll give you an illustration of this. Uh, Chuck Swindoll wrote a, 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 about 
how he had a paper route. Um, I had a, a, a paper route when I was young uh, that I hated. Um, I'd have to get up before dark. Man, it was so early in the morning to get people's papers. And I was so, I'd have to bring back this big stack of papers and fold them. And then I'd take them and put them by people's doors. I walked uh, to, to make sure they'd give me a big tip, which they generally did not. But I tried. Um, but paper delivery for Swindoll was on his bicycle. And uh, he rode his bicycle, and for people who lived on the corner, uh, unfortunately for them, he would cut across their yard. And he did it so regularly that he wore a path in one particular yard. And um, one day he rode up, and there was a sign right in the middle of his path that said, keep off the grass, no bikes. And you guessed it, he rode right around the sign and right up to the feet of the waiting homeowner. As Swindoll put it, the man shared with me a few things from his heart. (laughs) Whereas before, Swindoll's transgression was not fully seen, in a sense it wasn't reckoned, now it's sharply defined and accounted for. That's what the law does. That's what the law did, and that's what the law still does. Paul's overall point is that all the human race remains under death and sin, whether they are under the law or not. The law points out our sin, but the law doesn't give us a remedy. It just points out our sin. The law is like, Paul says in Galatians, our tutor to lead us to Christ. The law points out our sin. Look at verse 14. Uh, Even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern or a type of the one to come. And so just as Adam was a representative of created humanity, so Christ is the representative of a new spiritual humanity. So you've got this on your outline. Our rescue will come through a greater Adam. And the greater Adam is Jesus. Has he rescued you? Uh, If he has, you praise him. If he hasn't rescued you, uh, you're here because God is drawing you to himself. He wants you to know him. And if you do know him, he wants your relationship with him to grow deeper and stronger. What we will read in in Romans chapter 10 is that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's my prayer every Sunday morning. Lord, help my faith to grow. Help all of our faith to grow as we hear the word of God. I, I love the way Martin Luther translated. I've said this before, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by a message preached about Jesus because he is the word of God. And so that's our, we corporately, we come together so that we can grow in our faith. And then we go out from this place to be a witness for him. One commentator said, um, there's no greater distance between Christ and Adam than, be, uh, there's a greater distance between Christ and Adam than between a grasshopper and the highest archangel for Christ is infinite. What Adam and Christ did both impacted all of humanity. Adam should really be called the anti-type of Christ because what's true of Adam is only true of Christ in the opposite sense. 
what's, what, what they do have in common, what's similar is they both impacted countless numbers of people, all of humanity. And that leads us to the second point on the outline, and that is our rescue, our rescue. In verses 15 and 19, the second Adam is far greater than the first. Christ is greater than the first Adam, verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? So the sin of Adam brought death, but Christ brought grace. And not only did he do away with death, but he restored our relationship with God. And that relationship had been destroyed. And then in verse 16 tells us that Christ's work is far more powerful than Adam's could ever be. Jesus brings justification. Look at verse 16. Now, nor can, uh, can the gift be of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. So Adam's one sin brought death to everyone, but Jesus' death brought forgiveness. And so Jesus' work is clearly superior because we have forgiveness. And so when we have forgiveness in Christ, that means that that I, I can forgive myself. Have you forgiven yourself? Are there things that you have done that you have not forgiven yourself for? Jesus died so there's no judgment, so that we don't have to be judging ourselves, so that we can forgive ourselves. And then we go further, and there are maybe people in your life who have done something against you, and you're having a hard time forgiving them. But God gives us the grace to be able to do that. And so we find forgiveness in Jesus. And that means that, again, it's on your outline, Jesus' work is way more effective than what Adam did. Look at verse 17. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So in Jesus, we receive far more than we ever lost in Adam. And then in verses 18 and 19, still in in the parenthesis, Paul summarizes how great our rescue was. There are all these comparisons here in this passage. Trespass versus gift. Death versus eternal life. Condemnation versus justification. One versus many. Sin versus righteousness. Adam versus Christ. All these comparisons. So look at verse 18. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people... So also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Adam wanted to be equal with God. That was his sin. You know what Jesus, what Paul writes about Jesus in Philippians 2? Let me read it to you. It's so powerful. He says this, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's who Jesus is. So compare that to Adam wanting to be like God. So on the one hand, we see the greatness of our ruin through our Adam's solidarity But if we are in Christ, our Christ solidarity goes way past our ruin to us being rescued. It means that we reign with Christ. Are you reigning with Christ? Christ offers us the opportunity to be born into his spiritual family. But as many received him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. And once you receive that forgiveness, again, like we just said, you have the power to be able to forgive others and to forgive yourself. And if we do nothing, we receive death through Adam. If we come to Christ by faith, we receive life through him. So picture yourself as a non-Christian sitting in a prison cell. And Christ comes and opens the cell. He gives you salvation. Galatians 5.1 said, it is for freedom that Christ set you free. And so the door, the cell, uh, the, the cell, or the door of the cell is open. But I think what a lot of Christians do is they just sit in the cell. They don't ever go out of the cell, even though the door is open for us by Christ. They don't live in, in, in the victory of, that Christ died for. They're not reigning with Christ. What they're doing is wallowing in their sin, not forgiving themselves, not forgiving other people. And so are you sitting in the cell, but has the door been opened? If the door's open, walk out into the light. Live under the grace of God. Forgive yourself, forgive others. I know it's hard to do, but that's why we have the Holy Spirit living in our lives so we can do what is impossible for us to do on our own. That's what God does for us. And so we live our lives in the power of his grace. So what family line do you belong to? Do you belong to Adam's family line or Christ's family line? You can remain in your prison cell and feel guilty. Judge yourself or you can walk out of it and live and reign with Christ. That's what it means to reign with Christ. And then finally, verses 20 and 21, uh, number three, our reign with Christ. Verses 20 and 21. Verse 20 really is the high point of this passage. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. The law was never given to make us better. Actually, the law just pushes us down. It leads us to be depressed about our situation in life because God wants us to be, he's trying to point us to Jesus. He wants us to realize that we're broken and realize our need for him. That's why Paul says in the last part of verse 20, which for me, if it's not underlined in your Bible, it sure should be, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. I love that. The word translated increased all the more is kind of hard to translate from the Greek. It could be super increased or super abounded. 
that would be probably better. The idea is that it's unending and overflowing. That's God's grace compared to our sin, a grace that knows no limits. C.H. Spurgeon, who was called the Prince of Preachers, preached one sermon on just this one verse, verse 20. And he entitled it, Grace Abounding Over Abounding Sin. I like that. You know, this describes so well the life of a man named Mel Trotter. I remember hearing about him when I was in college in the Chicago area at Wheaton College. And Mel Trotter um, had an amazing impact for Christ on Chicago and on this entire nation. He was an alcoholic who had fallen so low that the night that he finally stumbled into the Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago where I've been and ministered to homeless people, he was under the influence of alcohol that he bought by removing the shoes from his daughter's feet who was in her coffin and selling them and then buying alcohol. That's pretty low. That's pretty desperate. But so unbelievable was the effect of Mel Trotter's conversion and him coming and finding out about the abounding grace of Christ that eight years later he was ordained as a pastor, became a a phenomenal evangelist around the country and founded founded 67 rescue missions all across the country. It's the life of Mel Trotter, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. People will say to me, you know, Kenny, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've thought. You don't know what I've said to people. But no matter how great your sin, God's grace superabounds toward you. You've got this on your outline. No one is beyond the grace of Christ. No one. You know, when Hoover Dam was built in 1935 by President Roosevelt, it was the largest structure on earth at the time. Maybe some of you have seen the Orville Dam in California. It's the tallest and highest dam in the United States, 770 feet high and one mile wide. It's pretty big. But the point of this passage and of this verse is that sin cannot construct a dam that is so high that grace cannot overflow it. That's got to be true in our lives as believers. Sometimes we have such a hard time forgiving ourselves, but God's grace says you've got to forgive yourself and then forgive others. And and once you're living, this is on your outline, a life in God's presence, you're free to obey out of love. Not out of necessity, but through God's power, not your own power. That's why God gives us his Holy Spirit. Like it says in verse 5 of Romans 5, his love is poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that's given us. And you know that if you stumble, you won't fall to the ground because you know that you'll be caught by Jesus and you'll be in his arms. He's protecting you. I like the way a couple of different translations translate the last part of verse 20. The New English Bible 
says, where sin was thus multiplied, grace immeasurably exceeded it. I like that. And J.B. Phillips' paraphrase of that verse says, though sin is shown to be wide and deep, thank God his grace is wider and deeper still. Amen. So what's the purpose of grace? Verse 21 gives us the answer. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Practically, how does that happen for us? Our our ruin is so great in Adam that makes us see all the more clearly the grace that is given us in our rescue through Christ. So many Christians misunderstand grace. It's like, I, I think the reason is that our, it's like our native language as humans is the law. We love to do, we love to prove ourselves to others. We love to prove ourselves to God by all that we do. Look at all I've done, Lord. And we just can't get away from that. We might say that, but we don't live that way. We might say that we can get away from it. But maybe sometimes some think that grace can be a license for even more sin. Well, Paul responds to that in the next chapter. Look at at chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And in verse 15, what then shall we say? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Paul anticipates this misunderstanding in in chapter 6, and it's like a straw man that's set up. He burns it down with these fiery words, by no means, by no means. And so on your outline, you've got this grace is not license. And if you ever use God's grace as an excuse to sin, it's like slapping God in the face. Paul develops this longer and amazing argument in chapter 6 and 7 that we're going to get to, but back to verses 20 and 21. Grace increased all the more so that, verse 21, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what does that mean that grace reigns? It's because of God's victory over sin that we are ruled by grace. Grace reigns in our life. It reigns over us. Just like in verse 14 of chapter 6. Look ahead in your Bible. Sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. Again, grace reigns. Grace and license are incompatible because grace reigns reigns through righteousness. Grace instructs us in self-control. It helps us to be godly. Grace creates in us this strong inclination to do good because we love God. That's what motivates us. The love of God motivates us. And knowing God's love, when we allow his grace to, to come into our lives, his love permeates every corner of our lives. So we love and we don't feel like we have the strength to love someone. And how do we begin that relationship? By grace through faith. And just end with this. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, uh, they were clothed with animal skins. To get an animal skin, you had to kill an innocent animal. That animal didn't do anything, but that foreshadows a principle that we see in Scripture in Hebrews 9.22, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So in this whole encounter with Adam and Eve, God was sharing two truths with them that became part of the gospel narrative throughout scripture. Number one, death came into the world because of sin and only a life can pay for that. And God is demonstrating that a substitute can be offered in the place of the one who committed the sin. 
And so when Adam and Eve sinned, they each had to be covered. And so there was one lamb per person. And then time goes on, and God established the Passover, the Hebrew Passover, for the Hebrew nation, and allowed one lamb to be slain for each family. And then time moves on some more, and there's Yom Kippur, and God allowed the slaying of one lamb to be good for an entire nation. And then John sees, in John chapter 1, verse 29, he sees this, sees Jesus coming, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. So this is an invitation open to all of us. And Jesus is now the new representative head. He undoes the damage done by Adam. And some people say, well, God isn't fair. That's right. It wasn't fair that Jesus had to pay for your sins. You should have paid for your own sin. I should have paid for my own sin. And we asked the question earlier, why should I be punished for something Adam did? Well, I'll tell you, here's the real question. Why should Jesus be punished for what you did? That's the real question. And yet he did. He was the lamb. Why did he do that? Because he sees you as worth it. He sees you as worth dying for. You know, there are only two types of people in the world. There are people of the old humanity under Adam and people of the new humanity under Christ. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, know that God brought you here today or you're listening today because God's drawing you to himself. He always wants you to go deeper with him. And so if you are a believer, he's drawing you deeper. He wants to get you out of the cell that you've been sitting in after he's opened the door for you to get out of it. And he wants you to get out of it into the light and live in the light. Maybe you've walked away from the Lord and you're listening today because there's a a parent or a child or a spouse or a friend who, who wants you to listen to this. So maybe you're at a crossroads in your life and you need, to, you need to praise God and turn to him and receive him into your life if you've never done that. And if you have done that, but you're not living that, that way, get out of the cell. Reign with Christ. Live in, in the strength and the light that he died for you to be able to live in. And, and if you know it, then you share it. You share it with other people, with your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers. Because we can't keep this to ourselves. It's too good to keep to ourselves. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for drawing us to you. Will you draw some today to you who are listening this morning? We thank you, Father, for the gift you are, the gift that you give us in eternal life, the righteousness Thank you that you set us free so that we can live in freedom and help us to stand firm and not let ourselves be burdened under a, again under a yoke of slavery to sin. Father, help us to get all of us out of this prison cell to forgive ourselves, to forgive others. We want to live in the power of your grace. If there's anyone here who doesn't know you, that they would just respond right now in faith. You hear their hearts. You see their their hearts. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So if God is drawing you,
please respond. Paul writes at the end of Romans, now to him who is able to strengthen you in the faith, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ, the anointed one. Amen. So be it. Then just one last thing. If, if, if you're not coming up, please introduce yourself to the people that you're sitting next to. And uh, if you're interested, join us for the budget meeting. Yeah. Well, thank you.